Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, a pair of proposed solar farm operations near Arcadia have prompted some strong pushback. But the industry says concerns and fears of nearby residents and township officials is misplaced. Also this morning, millions of travelers in the summer of 2021 need some place to stay. We'll talk about how renting your home through a platform such as Airbnb could in turn cover the cost of your own vacation. And happening around town, the Fort Findlay Playhouse is ready to turn on the footlights and raise the curtain once again. Tickets for the season opening production of Life with Father are now on sale. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. Today is Grab Some Nuts Day. We're talking peanuts or cashews or, you know, get a dirty mind here. Grab some of nuts today is National Watermelon Day today. It is National Airplane Crop Duster Day today. Do they still do that around? It's been forever since I've seen a crop duster. I'm guessing that they still do that in some places, but in any event, it is also Clean Your Floors Day I never have to worry about that because I have two dogs. (laughs) Anything that gets dropped on the floor is automatically clean. And, of course, today is the National Night Out, so there is that. So this is kind of interesting. It has been very much in the news. Among the first things you need to know this morning, a federal appeals court yesterday upheld Indiana University's requirement that all students and staff across its seven campuses must be vaccinated against COVID-19 by the start of the fall semester here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, Judge Frank Easterbrock of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals writes in his decision, people who do not want to be vaccinated may go elsewhere. Unvaccinated students will be required to wear masks, social distance, and be tested twice a week Eight students had challenged the university's mandate, charging that it was unconstitutional, but the court rejected that, noting that religious and medical exemptions are allowed. So it was originally the requirement was upheld by a federal judge, and then this was the appeals court yesterday that upheld that lower court ruling. An attorney for the plaintiffs says he plans to appeal to the Supreme Court. So this is going all the way up the food chain. Of course, the Supreme Court may or may not decide to take on that case. But uh, again, the debate continues for now. This uh, federal appeals court says, yes, those vaccination mandates are constitutional. Stay tuned. Um, Let's see here. Elsewhere, some of the other uh, most interesting and most buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started here. Uh, Guess what? Jeff Bezos is no longer the world's richest person. A dip in Amazon stock recently is costing Mr. Bezos that title, Forbes, reports that the now former CEO of the company lost close to $14 billion when Amazon shares fell nearly 8% on Friday after the e-commerce giant reported second quarter earnings. Uh, French businessman Bernard Arnault 
has taken the title of the world's richest person now. Uh, thanks to uh, Jeff Bezos' misfortune, $14 billion misfortune. Uh, Mr. Arnault is now worth just under $193 billion, and uh, Bezos is about $500 million behind him. So I don't know what you think about Amazon and uh, Jeff Bezos in general, but I think that we need to have the title of world's richest person come back home to America. So everybody, let's go order something from Amazon so that we can, if nothing else, we can earn back the title because it belongs in America. I mean, really, I, I think we, I think we need to have, whether or not you like the idea of Jeff Bezos holding the title, I think that we need to have it uh, in America. I think that's the way it should be. My first thought when I saw that was, how in the world is he ever going to afford to go to space again? That's <laughs> uh, Let's see. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories. Uh, first things you need to know this morning. Um, there are all kinds of factors that play into deciding where people locate where they go when they move from point a to point b had a lot of that during the pandemic people moving out of uh, cities and we were talking yesterday about the fact that many of those people's who many of those people uh who fled urban areas at the height of the pandemic are now coming back uh so all kinds of uh, factors that play into deciding where people relocate when they move but there is a new one that is starting to be uh, taken it factored into account for more and more Americans, and that is climate change. This, according to a report in USA Today, says that while there is not clear data on how many Americans are moving due to climate-related issues, there are signs that it is starting to play a role. A survey earlier this year from real estate website Redfin found that 49% of respondents said they planned to move in the next year, and at least some of the things that they were blaming or, or citing as reasons they plan to move, extreme temperatures and the increasing frequency or intensity of natural disasters. Based on that, Redfin says it is adding local climate risk data to its website. So uh, when you search for an area to relocate that you may be considering moving to, uh, you will get climate data. Um, they are going to use data from a startup called Climate Check, which lets people see the risk of climate-related hazards for any address in the U.S. And upon seeing that, I decided, just out of curiosity, I went to the Climate Check website to see how they rank our area. And uh, in Findlay, they say the risk is low. A uh, score of 29 out of 100 at my address. They, you enter your street address and it gives you, it spits out a number of your risk for uh, impact of climate change. And our risk is very low, 29 out of 100, as it uh, turns out. In order, the risk factors are for storms. Now, that's pretty high, 69 out of 100. Heat, 59 out of 100. Wildfire, is just 14 out of 100, so very low. Drought is even lower, 
four out of 100. And at least for my specific address, it ranked the risk of flood extremely low at just one out of 100. <laughs> well, anyone who's spent any time in Findlay knows that that risk probably should be a little bit higher, but they do point out that their score projects not so much the existing risk, but how much that risk is likely to change and increase over time because of climate change. And they say that climate change is probably not going to affect the flood issues here so much, so they rank it very low. Kind of Anyway, make of that what you will, but I thought it was interesting, nonetheless. Uh, before too long, I'm going to be sending the kids back to school three weeks until the first uh, first day of school for Findlay City School students as of today, right? Three weeks to go. And if your child is returning to in-person learning in the fall, experts say you should start preparing them right now. Psychiatrist Dr. Carmen Lopez Arvizu says after months of digital learning, kids are going to have a lot of questions and worries, and it's important for parents to keep them calm so that they can feel secure. Now, I don't know, again, in our area how much this applies because a lot of kids were back in class at the end of last year full-time, so uh, I don't know that it's that big of a deal. But she says to facilitate the transition back to permanent in-school classes, parents should first inform themselves of their school district's COVID-related safety guidelines and then begin to prepare the child ahead of the new school year. Parents should scale back children's sleep schedule by about 15 to 20 minutes a day, beginning about two weeks before the new school year begins. And then parents should talk to uh, their kids about the transition to help ease their child into a new school, a new grade, a new school building in some cases. Consider driving the planned bus route or visiting the school campus so the kid can have some exposure before the first day of school. Experts also say it is important to discuss grief associated with the pandemic, uh, perhaps a loss of a family member or missed educational uh, and social opportunities, and validate their feelings and their worries. In addition, they say some level of anxiety is normal, and it is also normal for some kids to be excited about seeing friends in the return to normalcy. I think that is certainly normal. We're all excited about that. So anyway, some advice to parents. Ahead of back to school three weeks from right now for uh, Finley City School students. Wow, where does the summer go? And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, a new study. This is good news here. And finally, some common sense <laughs> when it comes to uh, psychological analysis of our kids' psyche, I guess, to uh, put it. That way, I, I don't know a better way of putting it. A new study is suggesting that parents can let it go, in the words of Elsa, when it comes to the classic trope of the great princess debate. For years, scholars have suggested that the damsel in distress, which is such a central theme of so many like Disney films and things. For years, scholars have suggested that damsel in distress syndrome can damage a girl's sense of self-worth self-worth as well as negatively shape a boy's view of girls and their own masculinity but the tide is now turning as research is pointing out that kids immersed in classic films like sleeping beauty and beauty and the beast developed what researchers say are healthier views about gender roles 
The study says, uh, the study adds credence to the argument that the content children spend hours watching on TV does not have a profound impact on their development that uh, some parents have feared. So in other words, so in other words, you don't have to worry about, you know, the classic roles of the, you know, Disney films scarring kids or giving them a skewed view of uh, boys and girls roles in society. Just doesn't have that much impact according to this re- uh, research. You're welcome. I was happy to happy to read that. I know a lot of folks uh, will be. There you go. Enough of this madness. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started here. This is I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. Today is a special election day across Ohio. There are primaries today for two congressional races. The 11th District and the Cleveland area will determine the nominees for each party to face off in November for the seat that was held by Democrat Marsha Fudge, who now heads HUD under the Biden administration. And the same is happening in the Columbus area for the 15th District to replace Republican Steve Stivers, who now heads the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. Some other areas of the state have school levies and other issues on the ballot. As the Delta variant prompts a return to mask wearing in some areas, is it legal for an employer to require workers to be vaccinated? Yes, for the most part. Olivia Eugenio with ONN affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus reports. Mark Landis is an attorney with Isaac Wiles Law Firm in Columbus. He says there are a couple of exceptions. You have to give the employee the opportunity to decline a vaccination if that employee has a religious objection or a physical condition that would make it not advisable for them to have the vaccine. Olivia Eugenio in Columbus. Ohio State University has announced it's requiring masks indoors for everyone, whether vaccinated or not. This change in policy comes as fall classes are set to begin in three weeks. All students, faculty, and staff are required to report their vaccination status by Thursday. I'm Yolanda Harris. And I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. Well, now to our cover story this morning. You may have been following this story. A pair of uh, proposed solar farms out near Arcadia have prompted strong pushback among some in the area. But the industry says those fears and concerns of nearby residents and township officials is largely misplaced. Uh, Joining us this morning is Jason Raffeld, executive director of the Utility Scale Solar Energy Coalition, which is a nonprofit organization promoting responsible development of utility scale solar in Ohio. And Jason, the pushback on these uh, proposed solar farm projects, can you really explain it away as, as people just being fearful of something that they don't know and don't understand? Hey, thanks, Chris. I appreciate that question. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think you can just explain it away. I think it's it's reasonable for people that care about their community to want to know what's coming and and what are the changes going to be and is this going to be good or bad. And this is a new thing for Ohio. You know, Ohio uh, up until this point really haven't had any real significant uh, utility scale solar development. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's entirely reasonable that people are asking questions. Part of the objection uh, comes from the size of these projects. It is one thing to put up a bank of solar panels to power an individual farm operation or even a factory, but we're talking about a utility-scale operation of literally hundreds of acres here. 
That's right. These are these are large installations, uh, and that's that's uh, that's why they're being put uh, on uh, on farm fields uh, where landowners, uh, you know, are, are acceptable to have them. They take up a lot of space. Um, there's sort of no way around that. Uh, they they are a big installation, and you're right. Many of them are hundreds of acres, and some of them are bigger than that. And there is, of course, the concern about taking good fertile farmland out of production. But you argue that the benefits to farmers outweigh that loss, and not just for the landowners themselves. How so? Uh, I think that's absolutely right, Chris. I mean, you've got, uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a very good question. So, I mean, farmers are. I mean, I come from a farm family, and we still have a farm in Ashland, Ohio, and. You know, I've worked lots and lots and lots of hours uh, on our, our farm, and I can tell you that our, our family doesn't do that because we just have some crazy obsession with, uh, you know, busting our behinds out in the hot field in the middle of summertime. You know, we do that because it's a business and it's to make money. And so these farmers, these landowners that are approached, um, it's, this is a pretty lucrative, lucrative opportunity for them as a General rule of thumb, I would suggest that as compared with growing, for example, corn or beans, you're probably looking at a maybe a four to six times multiple per year uh, of uh, of revenue to that farmer. And that's guaranteed usually for 30 to 40 years. So that that's a pretty... Uh, pretty lucrative opportunity for for landowners. Well, certainly that uh, explains the benefit to the landowner uh, himself or herself. Uh, But what about the larger farming community as a whole? You actually make the argument that there are benefits beyond just the individual uh, on whose land one of these is placed. Absolutely. So, I mean, there is a, when these projects come in, there is a great uh, tax benefit uh, to the community. Um, many of these small communities are going to be looking at hundreds of thousands or in some cases millions of dollars per year for, over the, the life, the same time frame I mentioned before. And you can imagine what that can do for local schools, uh, local municipal services, uh, EMS, uh, businesses. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good boost to local economies. And if you look back, you know, much of the economic development around our state often happens around uh, large, you know, large urban centers, the city centers. This is an opportunity for uh, rural communities to benefit in, in this development. Now, those are, uh, frankly, kind of the easy questions. You get into some of the more difficult issues to address. Foremost among them, in the minds of many, uh, it involves the companies themselves, kind of the money trail here. These projects are being funded through out-of-state investors who some argue have no incentive to maintain the facilities properly or to ensure that they are not obtrusive to the community. And they question what will happen, where will those investors, uh, those invisible investors be when these facilities have, for example, reached the end of their lifespan? That's a great question and one I think uh, reasonable and responsible people are going to be asking. So we're fortunate here in Ohio to have uh, the Ohio Power Siding Board, uh, which is a, a very stringent uh, process, often takes more than a year uh, for these projects to get through. As you might imagine, it takes a long time, takes a handful of years often for these developers to put these projects together. Uh, one of There are many, many requirements throughout the Power Siding Board process, one of them being what's called the requirement to have a, a decommissioning bond, uh, which is 
exactly as it sounds, is when the project is complete or, or taken down, there has to be money to cover, cover the costs uh, of, of taking it down. You talk about the fact that the projected lifespan of a solar farm is 30 to 40 years, and I think 40 years is the number that's been floated uh, for these particular uh, developments or proposed developments here locally. But this is a rapidly changing industry right now, and and again, a lot of people will say there is no guarantee that energy prices are not going to change and and render such a large-scale operation less cost-effective even a decade uh, down the road. What then? What if these companies aren't around to live up to the obligations? Again, you go back to concerns over the fact that these aren't local companies in large part that we're dealing with. They're not vested in the community. What then? Well, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that statement, Chris. It's a good point. I think they are vested in the community, and, and that's shown should be shown uh, through the community engagement, through all the time they spent putting the project together, through all the time they spent speaking to uh, the township trustees, the county commissioners, and all the other elected officials that are there. Uh, you know, these are these projects are uh, based on a competitive electricity market. So they are uh, their interests are to to be successful here, to have a competitive price. Most of the times, the the product or the offtake, as they call it in the industries, which is actually the electrons, are are bought sometimes. Um, Sometimes outright, they'll buy the, all the output for, for, for the entirety of the project. Sometimes it's bought 10 years at a time, sometimes sometimes 15 or 20 years at a time. So usually the output from these projects is, is actually sold at the beginning, uh, thereby effectively guaranteeing the longevity of the project. What is the long-term future for this? Looking beyond just these uh, projects that are, again, proposed uh, here locally, what is the long-term outlook for Ohio generally. I mean, again, I look back at some of the other uh, proposed projects that we have had uh, in the state of Ohio, particularly with wind, that again, also face uh, quite a bit of opposition. And that opposition has uh, been able to derail some of those projects uh, over the uh, past several years. What is the outlook for these types of solar large-scale solar projects and do you expect to have any greater success than maybe what wind has in in gaining a foothold uh, in the state hey chris that's an insightful point and i think one that's important in in making in that uh, people often refer to you know renewables and wind and solar as if they're sort of one thing and they're not they're very very different technologies they operate differently they, you know, the only thing that they really have in common is that they produce no emissions. Otherwise, they're just very, very different. You know, solar is low to the ground. You're usually talking about 10 to 12 feet, maybe no more than 14. Uh, they're quiet. They don't really move. They very, very slowly track the sun throughout the daytime. At night, they don't do anything. They just sit there. Uh, there's a very few people that come and go to maintain the, the, the facility. And wind, of course, is very large turbines. Um, you can't really hide those. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're big. They move uh, uh, um, day and night. Um, you know, most of the solar solar farms are covered up by vegetative screening, indigenous trees and shrubs and bushes. So, you know, they're very, very different. So f- for that reason alone, uh, I think solar is, is going to be much more successful than wind. It's just it's just. It's a very benign land use that just kind of sits there and collects the sun. It doesn't really do much else. 
Again, a lot of uh, things there to consider when looking at this proposed or these proposed uh, solar farm projects uh, here locally and looking ahead a bit to the future in the state of Ohio. Again, Jason Raffeld is executive director of the Utility Scale Solar Energy Coalition. You actually have a website where folks can learn more about these types of projects and their future in the state of Ohio, correct? Yeah, we're at ohiosolarcoalition.com. That's ohiosolarcoalition.com. Got some information up about our organization and about uh, projects in general. We've also got a place there if people have questions, they can send them to us. You know, but also uh, the folks I know there was an, there was an article uh, that I read last week with some folks with concerns. And as I said, I think concerns are reasonable and those should be expressed. The particular developers, you know, y- you should ask them the questions, ask them what they're going to do, ask them how they're going to address uh, their concerns. You know, that's the job of the developer. To, to answer the questions in the community and, and make the uh, make the local residents feel more comfortable. We will leave it there for now. Link up the uh, website that you referenced at our webpage as well. Jason Raffeld, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate talking to you. Looks like a beautiful day for the Flag City Night Out event later on today. The National Night Out program is a chance for the community to get to know the people who protect their safety and vice versa. And in case you missed it, a few days ago, we spoke with Finley Police Department Crime Prevention Officer Brian White about tonight's event at Riverside Park. There really is no substitute for, and this is really the whole point of the night out program, uh, to be able to have that face-to-face, one-on-one interaction between the community and those in law enforcement, first responders, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from our standpoint, in uh, the police, uh, sheriff, uh, <laughs> law enforcement world, most people generally see us when we're out driving around in the patrol cars and we're just a face kind of in the car. Right. Or they're seeing us on a call where things aren't really going the best because mm-hmm. that's usually why people have us there. Yeah. So actually being able to be somewhere in a laid back environment in what better place than Riverside Park, it allows the public a chance to interact with us on a one on one basis in a very laid back atmosphere. And a positive uh, I- interaction because, as you were alluding to, most of us uh, associate officers of the law with uh, you know bad days things have gone wrong very very wrong so uh, this is an opportunity to connect in a more positive uh, situation and not uh, you know this is again for both adults and kids I mean you know again as we've seen demonstrated in incidents uh, around the country time and time again uh, a lot can be there's a lot of benefit from uh, establishing that relationship with both adults and the youth Absolutely. Anytime that we can get out there and we can forge those relationships at an early age yeah. and let kids know that, hey, we're, we're just not there to arrest people. We're there to help. And if you need help, you can come to us. And sometimes, especially with everything that kids are seeing in the media, that can be a, a tough concept sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if we can get out at events like this where it's more fun and we're playing games and activities with the kids, much like our officers did and firefighters with uh, the kids at kickball yeah. uh, the other week. Right. You know, if we can get out there and do stuff in a fun, relaxed environment, 
uh, it really does forge those relationships. Now, uh, that being said, uh, certainly in this community, you come to this with uh, a bit of a better starting point than maybe some other communities. I mean, I I, I would think that uh, you would have to describe the relationship between uh, law enforcement and, and first responders and the community that they serve uh, is a, a pretty positive one to begin with. So. Uh, absolutely. And I attribute that not just to our officers, but our, our community. Um, we, uh, at least I like to say, I may be a little biased, right? But uh, I like to say that our officers do a really good job of maintaining these relationships, even if it's something as simple like our ice cream tickets that we pass out in the summertime. Right. When we see uh, kids uh, with helmets, you know, it's just a chance for the officers to hop out of the car and talk with the kids. It's just small stuff like that that we do throughout the year that uh, really helps build on this. Uh, yeah, pretty much uh, every single year a, following a, a, a worthy point that this is a concerted effort. It doesn't just happen by accident. So the uh, Flag City Night Out event is coming up on Tuesday. You mentioned at Riverside Park. Give us all of the details here. Sure, absolutely. Yep, uh, this year's event will be much like uh, the past at Riverside Park near uh, the volleyball courts, and it's going to be held from six to nine p.m. Now, this is a 100% free family event. We always tell everyone, leave the wallets at home. That's uh, one of the attractions to this. Uh, and it is family-friendly. So kids, adults, there's something for everyone to enjoy. Uh, there'll be free food, entertainment, uh, live demonstrations. Everyone loves the police canines. That's always uh, kind of one of the staples of our event. Mm-hmm. So if you ever wonder what the canines can do, you can actually come out and watch a demonstration. There'll be a couple volunteer fire departments on hand to kind of tear apart a car with a jaws of life to show people, you know, if uh, they were in a crash or an accident, this is the equipment that that fire department would be using to kind of help save you. Uh, there's many different kinds of vehicles that'll be there from police cars, to ambulances, fire trucks, tow trucks, etc. The people and kids can come out and hop inside and check out and again, see the equipment that, uh, that we have. Uh, and, and, I'll say that's, and I'll say that's really cool, not just for the kids, but for the grown-up kids as well. I, I always think that's that's really cool. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've noticed that at some of my events, just uh, <laughs> seeing people, you know, with a grin on their face when they flip on the lights yeah. for the first time, you know, being able to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Finley High School's uh, Steel Drum Band Pantasia will be there. Um, that's always kind of a hit with the crowd. Uh, they love hearing them play and probably one of the main attractions of our event is our annual mascot games. We will have several area mascots. It's actually shaping up to be one of our best years for mascots out there competing in what we call mascot Olympics, but really we're kind of talking about some simple uh, games that uh, are designed for mascots to play. And during the intermission of our mascot games, we will also have the police versus fire games where police officers and firefighters will be pairing up with kids from the crowd to kind of run a few uh, games to let the mascots cool off. So a lot of fun going on. I know uh, Movement Church will be there providing their root beer floats and activities for the kids. The Y on the Fly will be there for activities with the kids. We will also have uh, Padrones providing, uh, Padrones Pizza Finley providing free pizza throughout the night. And uh, at Snacks, they also provide uh, food throughout the night. So lots of, uh, lots of people are contributing to this, uh, and uh, we're really looking forward to it.
It sounds like it's going to be an awesome event back uh, after having to be a virtual event last year. The 2021 Flag City Night Out is coming up on Tuesday evening, uh, 6 to 9, your Riverside Park. And in case folks are wondering specifically, uh, you're uh, over in the Carnahan Avenue uh, area. But just follow the the crowd and look for all of the uh, flashing lights and everything, I guess. Sure. Hey, absolutely. And I, and I will encourage people if uh, you can't be there for whatever reason, but you still want to show your support, a simple symbolic gesture that you can do is turn on your porch light. Uh, we would say like with a blue light to just kind of show everyone that you're standing with the area safety services and kind of the fight against crime. Again, uh, our conversation from uh, this past Friday with Finley Police Department Crime Prevention Officer Brian White, in case you missed it, talking about the Flag City Night Out event happening this evening at Riverside Park. We encourage you to stop by and uh, check that out. As we've been talking uh, really all season long about the great travel reboot of 2021, a huge demand for travel services, and that means uh, a need for even more spaces to accommodate all of those travelers. And the flip side also true, if you are traveling, by sharing your space, you can maybe even pay for your own vacation. We are joined this morning by the communication lead for North America at Airbnb, Liz DeBold Fusco. And uh, Liz, you recently uh, put out a, a report. Uh, it says in the last year, more than 13% of hosts shared their space with visitors while traveling for vacation or work. Talk a little bit about this uh, report and, and what you find uh, about these uh, these hosts and uh, visitors uh, who are you know, making this work on both ends. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously summer is well, well underway. And I would bet that if you haven't already booked your vacation, you're probably eyeing maybe some weekend to get outside, uh, maybe reunite with some family and friends. But what you may not realize is that we're actually, again, you mentioned seeing a huge travel rebound. And that demand means that you can use your travel plans to earn money this summer cover the cost of your trip and more, make your vacation work for you. You can do it all by sharing your home on Airbnb while you're out of town. So you mentioned this, but I think it's really worth repeating. You know, this is something that Airbnb hosts are already doing. More than 13% of hosts that tell us that they share their space with visitors while they are traveling themselves. And really many in our community share their home casually when they have time or when it works best for their family. So this is something that anyone anywhere can try. And I'll give you the example, you know, right here in Toledo, a host can earn over $2,000 per month on average by sharing their space. So that means that, you know, you can share your home for one weekend and use that weekend to, to pay for a vacation out of town, maybe go check out uh, one of the lakes in Michigan and get some time by the water. So as we mentioned, you have obviously seen this uh, uh, added demand for spaces and in response to that, and this is actually something that we've talked about before, you have uh, made upgrades to make uh, both hosting and booking uh, a little bit easier for both the hosts and for travelers. 
Absolutely. So we kicked off this summer, actually, by introducing more than 100 upgrades across every aspect of our service to meet the coming demand. It was actually one of the most significant top-to-bottom upgrades of the Airbnb service in our history. And one of the biggest changes that we made was making it easier than ever before to become a host. Because we, we see right now there's a huge opportunity in hosting. Half of new Airbnb listings that were activated in early 2021 got their first reservation request within four days of being created. And that hmm. is, that's huge. That's fast. Yeah. Um, so now really is the time. It's the time to start hosting. So we created a brand new onboarding process that simplified what used to be dozens of steps into just 10. So that means that, you know, from the moment you decide, hey, maybe I'm, I'm going to start share my home. Let me check this out to actually being up and running on Airbnb. It's only going to take you about really 10 minutes. Um, and then on top of that, we wanted to make it easier than ever before to actually plan that trip, especially if you're looking to tap into one of the big trends we're seeing and stay in a unique place like a treehouse or a dome. So earlier this month, we launched our new tool called Flexible Destinations. If you haven't been to the Airbnb homepage for a while, in a while, go check it out because you'll see there's a brand new button. It's called I'm Flexible. And when you hit that, it'll reveal a bunch of unique listing categories. And you'll see the ones that are nearest wherever you're looking to go right at the top. Now, you mentioned the uh, possibilities for how much money someone could earn in extra income by sharing their space. Uh, first of all, there are a lot of different options. You can uh, you know, rent out your entire home. You can rent out a, a portion of your home, a room in your home, whatever it might happen to be. Um, and obviously, there are a lot of variables that go into that, but you can help people kind of get some sort of idea as to just how much money they can make on the side. And usually, it's a lot more than people maybe would realize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, look, Toledo, $2,000 a month. So really the best way to go and get that information and really just to get started as an Airbnb host is actually airbnb.com slash host. That's our hub for becoming a host. There's everything you'll need from helpful articles and resources on your you know, obligations as a host to even we've actually created online classes that are led by expert hosts so you can answer, get your questions answered. And one of the big tools that's on that page is uh, it allows you to estimate your uh, potential earnings. You mm-hmm. can put in, you know, where you're located. If you're looking to share an entire home, a private room, a shared space, and that tool will take all the information you entered uh, and, and match that with nightly rates and occupancy in your area to tell you what you could earn as a host. So in no time, you can map out that dream vacation you can see how much you can earn and uh how you what you can pay for with that income uh by sharing your home and real quickly uh for the for the hosts what kind of commitment are we talking about this is not necessarily uh open-ended for example if i say well you know i can uh rent out some space in my home uh during this time of the year but not necessarily during this time of the year and so on what kind of flexibility do hosts have to control uh you know when they make their spaces available yeah absolutely so again as i mentioned you know many hosts are pretty casual. I think people think that hosting is this big commitment. It certainly doesn't have to be. There are obviously a lot of people that enjoy that and and take on hosting um, as a really big part of their lifestyle. But Mm -hmm. there are some that just share their home, again, when they're out of town, uh, whenever they have time, whenever it works for their family. So you can set your calendar and everything that you want to make available in your space. uh, You can set that based on your needs. Um, and again, given the demand, uh, you're pretty likely to, to get some reservations in um, 
fairly soon after you create your listing. Yeah, especially right now because uh, the demand for travel, as we know, is so high. Again, uh, Liz DeBold Fusco is a communications lead for uh, North America at Airbnb. You mentioned the website where folks can learn more about uh, possibly becoming a host, either part-time or full-time. Uh, let's mention that again. Yes. Yeah, so it is airbnb.com slash host. That's our hub. You can get everything you need to get started with sharing your space, maybe paying for that vacation and, and get started as an Airbnb host. We will link it up on our webpage as well. Liz, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the lighter side of the news, the odd and unusual side of the news, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Police in Pennsylvania responded to a call on Saturday afternoon. It was reported that 20-year-old Joseph Hawk had assaulted an 82-year-old man, set fire to his home, and then ran off. Multiple agencies responded and searched the area, but could not locate Mr. Hawk. It wasn't until the next morning that he had been found barricaded himself in a treehouse. <laughs> he barricaded himself in a treehouse. Definitely a unique hiding place, if not the best one. He eventually surrendered without incident and was arrested he was charged with arson and uh, and assault and other charges and so on. But I just thought that was a very interesting choice of uh, hideouts, a treehouse. Generally, you know, you're not going to be able to hang out in a treehouse forever. I mean, it doesn't have plumbing. It doesn't have electricity, food, all of those, th those little things. Not the best hiding place. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, uh, police in Buffalo, New York, got a call about two individuals, a man and a woman, uh, who had fallen through the roof of a substation near the back of Central Terminal in Buffalo. They fell through the roof about 15 to 20 feet. Uh, officers and other emergency personnel responded to the rescue call about 1030 uh, in the evening this past Saturday, transported the woman by ambulance to the local medical center where she was treated for multiple injuries. When asked what in the world they were doing on the roof of Central Terminal, they explained they were ghost hunting. <laughs> they were ghost hunting. Oh, well, of course. Uh, makes perfect sense. I don't know why the ghost would be hanging out on the roof, but... That was their excuse. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. Uh, let's see here. From the international file of the uh, broken news, in Hampshire, England, a man's attempt to report a couple for um, <clears throat> making love in the shed of a public train station. Uh, that's... It, he was going to report this. I mean, this is not something that people should be doing in public, right? So he's going to report this, but his attempt to report it backfired when he was accused of being a voyeur. David Smith, age 39, attempted to capture the couple on video as evidence when the husband pulled out his phone and began recording him, claiming he was a dirty old voyeur. 
<laughs> the husband defended his public spot, claimed the only reason that David was not doing the same was that he couldn't find a woman. <laughs> well, well, okay. Uh, Mr. Smith said it was weird, really weird. They had clearly been drinking, and it was just a strange situation. He said, uh, you know, this guy is acting like I'm the one that's in the wrong when he's basically, you know, getting jiggy with it in front of a load of kids' bedroom windows in the neighborhood. <laughs> so I don't know how authorities sorted this whole thing out, but... An interesting confrontation, nonetheless. You try and do a good deed and it's turned around on you. Um, this is a report out of Detroit from the uh, Free Press. Any of you saw this story? I, If you're a cop, ask any cop. They always hear the excuse, well, that's not mine, or some variation on that when popping someone for carrying something illegal. Well, that's not mine. Well, it turns out a trucker who made that claim when authorities found more than 2,200 pounds of marijuana in his truck, more than a ton of marijuana in his truck. And the driver said, that's not mine. And it turns out he was, in fact, telling the truth in this instance. The Free Press reports that Tazbir Singh, age 32, was arrested in early July for hauling an insane amount of potent marijuana that, after doing some math, was worth $3.2 million, street value of over $3 million. Uh, he maintained his innocence while he spent more than two weeks in jail, saying he had no idea that the marijuana was in his cargo area of his truck. He believed he was hauling coil rings and even furnished the paperwork to prove it. Well, thanks to his criminal defense attorney, uh, Ellen Michaels, she did some uh, digging and learned that the order was the product of a computer hack. She found out that thieves had gained access to the trunking co trucking company's computers and falsified an order for coil rings. But when it came time to load the truck, they stuffed it with pot instead. Driver had no knowledge of what was actually in the truck. Uh, she uh, went to court and convinced a uh, judge that the client was not the one who should be imprisoned. Uh, Mr. Singh, who is a native of India, is now a free man. All charges against him have been dropped. He said, it is my luck that I got justice so fast and I got a good criminal defense attorney. Now police trying to track down the computer hackers and identify the actual individuals who, who should be held criminally, criminally responsible for the smuggling operation. That is crazy, isn't it? What a crazy story. Thank goodness uh, that the uh, attorney was able to convince the judge. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is important stuff. A Connecticut woman has earned the spot, uh, earned the uh, award of the human female with the largest mouth. Uh, so declares uh, the Guinness World Records webpage. This past Wednesday, the site proclaims that Samantha Ramsdell of uh, Norwalk, Connecticut, is the is the world record holder for the largest mouth gape by a human female. Uh, the report says that uh, the Guinness people have corroborated the data gathered by Samantha's dentist. 
whose measurements reveal that the 31-year-old has a gape of over two and a half inches wide. And Samantha goes on to say showcases her natural gift on TikTok. <laughs> She's got about a million and a half followers, so that's a woman with the world's largest mouth. Sometimes the comedy just writes itself. There you go. That is today's broken news report. Uh, this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. A lot of data here in today's daily download. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. We've been talking about how this is the uh, great travel reboot of 2021. This summer, it seems everybody wants to go somewhere. Well, the results of Expedia's inaugural Traveler Value Index are in. It is a global 8,000-person poll with some interesting perspective on where people want to go and why. Um, It says, with so many feeling the travel bug, 75% of those in the poll say they want to go someplace they have never been. Three in four want to go someplace new. 22% are seeking an all-out, once-in-a-lifetime type of experience. Among the findings, 34% of those... So, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. We don't want to just go to the Grand Canyon. We want to parachute into the Grand Canyon or something crazy like that. Um, Among the findings... 34% of those polled say that they have got a bigger travel budget this year as compared to last, certainly. And 18% expect travel to be their biggest expense in 2021. And that is big. You think about travel being the biggest expense when you consider car payments, mortgage, uh, all of that. I, I don't know whether the people who said that considered all of those things, but their biggest expense, you know, how they define that. But it is kind of interesting. 18% expect travel to be their biggest expense this year. In fact, travel ranks up there with other major yearly expenditures. 18% also said home renovation was a top budget priority for the year. So uh, as many people want to travel, again, what you take away from that is many people uh, want to travel and have that once-in-a-lifetime experience as want to renovate their home. Travel beat out entertainment, uh, other entertainment, by uh, quite a margin, 12% uh, cited entertainment. Buying or maintaining a car only got 11%. And this was interesting. People are prioritizing travel even over health care at 11%. So again, 18% expect travel to be their biggest expense. 60% of those polled say they are looking to travel domestically for now, 60%, although 27% in the poll say that they are considering a trip to another country in the next year. Now, whether that would be Europe or just to Canada or something like that, 
Uh, I don't know. But looking and again, this is globally. So that could also include maybe Europeans looking to come to this country. But 27 percent say they are considering considering a trip to another country within the next year. The poll also revealed that price is no longer a priority when it comes to booking a trip. Instead, more than one in four travelers would pay more for the ability to get a refund if a trip plan goes sideways. So kind of interesting there, being able to get your money back on airfare and rental properties, even outpaced a travel experiences, enhanced cleaning and disinfection as a priority. So you can make of that what you will. 59% said that they would pay more for travel that supports sustainable practices. So again, concern over the environment is still a big uh, motivating point. 51% said they travel to experience new cultures. 48% say traveling boosts their physical and mental wellness. And that actually is a bit surprising. I would have guessed that number would have been even higher than 48%, but that's what it says. And 33%, one in three, say they use travel to make themselves a more rounded person. More rounded person person i don't know about that i just want to get away from the daily grind especially uh, as we said so many people after the past year of quarantines and lockdowns and travel restrictions are kind of embracing the freedom to what's the old tagline for southwest airlines you are now free to move about the country and everybody taking advantage of that although obviously that is threatened by the spread of the Delta variant, now putting a lot of that stuff in question, hence, you know, people wanting to have some flexibility uh, in case those travel plans go sideways. But interesting stuff nonetheless from the Expedia Traveler Value Index. As we mentioned, the Fort Findlay Playhouse is ready to turn on the footlights and raise the curtain once again. We are joined on the line by Heather Hardy and Laura, uh, Linda England, uh, two members of the uh, cast of the season opening production of Life with Father, to give us a uh, preview. And ladies, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Originally, we had planned on uh, having uh, these uh, folks in the studio with us uh, to uh, talk about the uh, show in person, but our, our new studio is not quite yet completed so we appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us uh, on the line this morning how exciting is it to be back up and running at the playhouse well thanks for having us chris and it is very exciting extremely exciting especially (laughs) after being gone over a year yeah it, it has been what what was the last production do you remember i mean i don't mean to put you on the spot but Um, The last one I did was Miracle on 42nd Street. Um, I know they were gearing up to do another one and then got shut down before it even had a chance to lift its feet off the ground. Wow. So it is uh, awesome to uh, have uh, the the Playhouse back up and running again. And you actually have a a full season plan. So knock wood, uh, you are ready to to go and uh, right out of the gate with Life with Father. Now, this is uh, maybe for some folks a familiar uh, production. It is a a classic play. Tell us a little bit about it for those who are not familiar with the uh, story. 
Well, Life with Father is based on an autographical book called Life with Father by Clarence Day Jr., and it's set back in 19th century New York. Um, it's the longest-running show on Broadway with over 3,000 shows, and it was inspired and uh, brought about a movie in 1947 with William Powell, Irene Dunn, and Elizabeth Taylor, just to name a few. Um, a nice fact about it is one of the playwrights, Russell Krauss, was born right here in Finley. How and about he and his that? Family, yeah. So, see, you never know. There's always a tie somewhere. I did somewhere. not know that. How about that? Yeah. yeah. So, it's just a fun-witted play about a father who's trying to run his household very sternly to the best of his capabilities. And his wife is a doting wife, a mother, and she just quite knows how to play him just ever so much to get things to bend to her will, you, only he doesn't know it. You, you know what's interesting so, about this is, you know, obviously it's kind of a period piece because uh, of the of the setting and, and uh, has the sensibilities of the day. But at the same time, a lot of this is still relatable to modern society. It is. And you take doing this one, a lot of us were saying, oh, my goodness, how can they say that? How come he's so <laughs> acting like that? But when you step it up to our present day, you can kind of see it when you really look at it. And yeah. the, the basis of the whole thing is mother wants father to do this baptism. He refuses. But in the end, guess who wins? Mom, <laughs> of course. As, you know, as so. is usually the case uh, even in uh, modern-day society. So there are definitely some <laughs> some parallels here uh, to, yes. uh, to all of this. So, uh, yes. so tell us a little bit about the uh, the cast. This a uh, this a large uh, production. I, I have to admit, I, I don't know very much about the nuts and bolts of, of uh, putting this. How large is the the cast? How many people are involved in this? There's a total of 16. Um, we have eight men and eight women. Okay. But there's uh, basically the family is the main characters. Yeah. Um, the day family, which is mom, dad, and the four boys. Mm -hmm. um, then we have a few of us maids that try their... Uh, I'm the Irish cook. So. Yes, Heather's <laughs> the Irish cook. I get to put on that little accent for you. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I ask is because I would imagine that, again, uh, getting back up and running after uh, a year of the Playhouse being dark, uh, probably a lot of folks who are chomping at the bit to be a part of this production. They were. They really were. And everyone that tried out just kept saying how happy they were to touch the stage again, not even be in a show, but to touch the stage and get up there and be back home, their second home of sorts. Yes. A few of us that just have just a little bit, we don't even, it's like, I don't care. I just want to walk on the stage one time. Again. Give me a part. Give me a little walk on part. I don't yes. care. Yes. Just get me back on stage yep. again. Hey, what exactly. did, did what did you guys do uh, during the uh, course of the uh, lockdown? I mean, I know that there were a lot of like uh, online table reads and and all of that as some some sort of substitute for uh, actual uh, actually performing. Did you guys get involved in in anything like that? Um, I did not myself, mm -hmm. and I did not. But I know. life was happening yeah. otherwise. Yeah, I know um, some of us. So some of the the. Playhouse people did um, online theater where reading, doing a play like um, 
Yeah. Just where everybody gets on a Zoom call and does that. So I know a lot of them reached out, did some outdoor theater and stuff like that to pass mm. the time. Yeah. But uh, again, so good to have uh, everybody back uh, in the in the theater. And it's more than just on stage. I mean, you know, we talk yeah. about the uh, folks, uh, obviously, who are out there and being seen. But there are so many people that work behind the scenes to bring a pro- uh, production. We always talk about this, yeah. but a big shout out to all of those folks who are are back, you know, uh, 100% Absolutely. Lighting, the set, every, you can't have a show with with, just the cast. You need everybody, you know, the whole community pitching in, and we always welcome, anyone can come and help. Um, It's always welcome, and you just get a sense of a second family when you start into the theater. That's for sure. It's just wonderful. The Four Family Playhouse people are just very loving and just like a family. It is. So we welcome anybody. It is a very welcoming group. And like we said, you have a full schedule of productions, yes. uh, starting with uh, Life with Father. Give us all of the details on this show now. You're uh, well, opening what uh, here in a couple of August weeks? 12th. Uh, yeah, so August right around the corner. Is, yeah, opening night is August 12th. Tickets are already on sale. You can get them at fortfinleyplayhouse.org. Um, you can also phone the box office at 419-525-3636 or show up in person. Uh, we're at 300 West Industry Street in Finley, behind the post office. Can't miss us. Um, we got a great season coming up. We have Nonsense, Escanamba. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey and Adam's Family, the musical. I mean, uh-huh. come on. Getting exciting, people. It doesn't get any better uh, than that. And, you know, one of the things that we uh, always talk about with the Playhouse Productions is this is a very intimate uh, theater. There are not a whole lot of seats, and usually that is a wonderful thing because it makes it a great place to uh, actually see a production and feel as though you are a yeah. part of it. But, yeah, yes, but exactly. It, but the, the fact that you've been uh, shuttered for a year, uh, not only are the actors uh, chomping to the bit to get back on stage, I would imagine uh, many of the patrons are chomping to the bit to see a production, so probably best to get your tickets sooner rather than later. Yeah. Don't wait on this yeah we've had a lot of patrons come by and purchase the seasonal packages and they were just so excited saying we're so glad you're finally back we're so glad to be back in the theater oh my gosh we can't wait yeah get out there get your tickets come have some fun and escape reality for a while (laughs) you'll get a lot of giggles out of this amen to that and again the uh, tickets are on sale now we've got the link up on our webpage for more information about this show and about the uh, rest of the season from the Fort Findlay Playhouse uh, website so go to goodmornings.net you can check all of that out again uh, Linda England Heather Hardy with us this morning from the cast of Life with Father Uh, August 12th you said is the opening date right Opening night is August 12th. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck. Break a leg, as they say, in the theater. And uh, we thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. So be sure to check us out online. Coming up tomorrow on the program, in some areas, spread of the Delta variant is placing more strain on healthcare systems than even at the height of the pandemic. 
And Hancock County has recently reactivated their weekly COVID dashboard. Does all of that mean local officials expect yet another surge? Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and making it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.